Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And what an episode we have for you today. I wanted to do an episode focusing on the discipleship element of people who struggle with sexual sins, in particular things like same-sex attraction, confusion over their gender, and particularly focused on the younger generation. So nobody better to bring on and have that conversation with than my friend Christopher Yuan. I've just finished the conversation. It was so incredible. There are so many highlights for me. If you're a parent who has a child who's struggling, or maybe a pastor who doesn't quite know what to do when somebody confesses a particular kind of struggle, like what's the best way to disciple and care for people who are struggling, this is the episode for you. Some of the highlights, Christopher walked us through some of the foundational theological aspects of sexuality, uh, going back to things like who we are, what's our real identity, and the false identity that culture has set up for us, which is our sexuality. Culture wants us to think that our sexuality is our core identity. Um, we talked about the difference between desire and temptation because that's huge because somebody might be tempted by something and not necessarily sin, but when the temptation leads to desire, uh, he talked through that. And then we talked about specific scenarios, and, and he Christopher gave some really wise advice to, um, to young people who might be struggling, to parents who suspect maybe they have a kid who's struggling or know that they have a kid who's struggling, and to pastors. Such a rich, rich episode, and I can't wait for you to hear the conversation. Also want to uh, commend to you the new video series that Christopher has put out. It's called The Holy Sexuality Project. It's for young people, for teens, for students. Definitely get it. It's only $20. He's going to tell you all about it and how to get it. Um, it's wonderful. I endorsed it heartily, and I was greatly honored to be able to do so. So uh, I hope you get a lot out of this. I know I did, and I'm very thankful for Christopher and his ministry. And without any further ado, here's Dr. Christopher Yuan. 
Well, Christopher, always great to have you on as a guest on the podcast. I'm very excited for you to be on with us today because you're coming out with a new video curriculum. I don't know what you want to call it, a video series for for youth to really help shape their theology of sexuality. And I think this is so important because I kind of grew up in the generation uh, in church where it was a bunch of what not to do. No, don't yeah. do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then everything's going to be great once you get married. And it was a little bit disjointed. And I love that you're really walking through a theology of sexuality from start to finish, starting with identity. Well, first of all, starting with following Jesus, identity, attraction, and desire. We're going to talk through a lot of that today, but we're going to focus the episode really on the discipleship piece of the puzzle. Um, there, I'm sure there are many people that are tuning in today that experience confusion, maybe with mm -hmm. their gender or with their sexual attractions, their desires. And they might feel very alone, not sure what to do with that. And then there may be others who have friends and loved ones who walk through similar struggles, and they're looking for some help and some guidance on how to disciple and walk with their friends and loved ones. So we're going to focus on that question today. But I'd love to just start with a great foundation. So first thing, you've been on the podcast before. You've shared your story, long form, extensive. Just for anybody who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and where the Lord has brought you uh, in your faith journey. Yeah. Um, so my own journey, um, you know, I was not raised in a Christian home. I didn't have that blessing that you did with having, you know, a dad, you know, loves the Lord and family. I didn't have any of that. Um, but I wrestled with my sexuality. I came out of the closet, as I would have said back then. Uh, in my early 20s, I went through just very, very worldly life, partying. I did drugs, started selling drugs. But through, like, when I came out to my parents, that actually what brought my mom and uh, my father to faith, amazingly. Um, but I started partying, doing drugs, selling drugs while I was in dental school. I was expelled from dental school, moved to Atlanta, and I kept doing what I knew how to do best, live it up. Well, eventually I was arrested, found myself in jail. And that was the beginning of God finally waking me up. I mean, he was always there, obviously, but he um, found a Bible in the trash can, began reading it. And it was really just the word of God, me, the Holy Spirit, the word of God in my prison cells, different ones that I was at. And God began to reveal himself to me, not only who he was, but who I was and how I had so conflated the error of sexuality with my personhood. And that was important. So that was really foundational uh, that I talked about in my book. And that was very foundational with this video series. But then also God revealing to me. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times when we critique ideas, I think just as we critique these secular ideas, we also need to be have room that there might need to be some critiquing for ourselves as Christians, because for so long we had lifted up this concept of heterosexuality as, you know, if you're same-sex attraction, you need to kind of correct yourself and become heterosexual. But as I thought about it and compare that to the, the, the plumb line of God's word, I realized holiness is the goal. And I coined this term, holy sexuality. The term isn't new, but the concepts just come right out of the pages of scripture. Yeah. So this is all kind of in prison, got out of prison, called the ministry, went on to Bible college, seminary, wrote my book with my mom, and then uh, my book, Holy Sexuality. So kind of in a nutshell, that's my journey and, and uh, what the Lord has brought me to. And I've had the incredible blessing to be able to minister on this, time, on this issue for ch such a time as this. 
Yeah. Well, and and your your extensive journey is chronicled in the book you mentioned, Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope, which was co-written with your mother, Angela. Yes. Such a great book because it really walks through the mother's perspective and then your perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, I recommend that book all the time. And then, of course, Holy Sexuality. But now you're coming out with the Holy Sexuality Project. So tell yes. us about that. What, what made you want to do that? It's so well done, by the way. The quality is just top-notch. The, um, the delivery is top-notch. Everything is so good about it. And I was thrilled and honored to be able to endorse it. And so, so tell us about it and who it's for, what it's all about. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I mean, your um, for your encouragement, guys. It was really a really a labor of love. So it took three three years um, at doing video. I, you know, writing is already difficult for me, but to also now do this video aspect, which was completely new to me, took a lot of work. But um, initially, I was thinking, you know, you you use the word curriculum, and it, and it definitely is that. But as we were working, we wanted to make this, we didn't want there to be any kind of stumbling blocks, things that would get in a way for kids and parents to use it. And I thought, man, if I use the word curriculum, mm. that's going to scare away a lot of teens. So we actually sort of shifted in our that's branding, um, in our approach, and we dropped the word curriculum, just it, it still is a curriculum, but just to kind of make it more accessible to teenagers. So we call it, you know, as you said, the Holy Sexuality Project. It's just more catchy that way. Yeah, it's uh, great. But so it's it's essentially uh, taking the concepts for my book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, and then kind of and, and adapting that to video form uh, that. And, and I and I added some other things that you know in the past four years that we're really dealing with, especially gender, uh, but questions that teenagers are asking, like what's the big deal? Um, and I also added a whole lesson on dispelling myths on what the Bible says about homosexuality. But uh, that was my goal to 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 provide a resource that wasn't just to teach teens, but to fill in a gap that I really see missing that my parents and I saw missing, and that was. Um, we saw what can have lasting impact. I think a program teaching something in the classroom or in youth group is very helpful and necessary, but like a Christian school teacher, a youth pastor never replaces the parent. A mm. uh, youth pastor is not going to be with a teenager after high school. So what we wanted to really encourage is home discipleship, that these would be promoting conversations in the not you know moving it from the classroom to the living room to the dining room so that this will have conversations that will go on past high school into college and into the young adult years so that's that's what this this curriculum this video series that was one of our big big intents of doing Wonderful. Well, it, it's. I think this is going to be such a blessing to the body of Christ and a blessing to so many parents who are looking for guidance with how to introduce some of these topics to their kids. We, With our kids, we started talking about gender and um, you know sexuality at an age-appropriate way, of course, but just from very young. So we've been having these conversations, and I think that that has borne out to 
to be very positive in my kids' lives mm -hmm. because we still can continue those discussions. And um, and you're offering such a valuable guide here. So let's talk through a little bit of that foundational stuff before we get to the discipleship piece. Talk about identity. In lesson two, you have um, the, kind of the whole topic of lesson two is this false identity, sexuality, because yeah. everything in culture, oh, especially Gen Z, my kids' age, yeah. everything that's aimed at them, it seems, is telling them that you are your sexual, like that's your core identity. Um, and you kind of dispel that myth. So talk about identity. Yeah, if, if there's one thing that I think Christians who hold to biblical sexuality that we aren't fully grasping when it comes to sharing the gospel to those in the gay community um, and understanding this, uh, where we are today, I don't think we fully compre comprehend how much sexuality has become a part of our essence. I'm not just talking yeah. about a label. We're, we're not quibbling over terminology. That's a, that completely uh, misunderstands the, the, the topic. I, I actually hear that quite a bit. You know, they think that, you know, I'm just having an issue over terminology. Not at all. The issue words matter because words have meaning. So I'm, I'm actually bringing up the point of what's the meaning of this term? because uh, that meaning now distorts who we are and we have the wrong starting point where the, the trajectory of this is gonna end up in the wrong place. Mm. So I begin there with a the false identity and kind of walk through you know, how we've gotten here. And we go back to some of these distorted philosophies that Rosaria Butterfield touched on in her book, Openness Unhindered. And of course now Carl Truman has done so well in his two books, uh, A Strange, yeah. um, not Strange New World, uh, yeah, Strange New World and yeah. uh, The Rise and Fall, uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. So we see how do we come up, and it's just so shocking where people are like, oh my goodness, how do we come up here? Well, you connect the dots and you yeah. will see that it's clearly coming from, it didn't just start in the past 10 years, it's clearly come from the mid-1800s for the Romantic period and existentialism and and onward to where we are today. So I think that's important. We have to understand that there is a completely false understanding of personhood. Mm. Um, so once we get there, then that that helps us to understand why our kids are seeing, they, they so much want to love their friend, but they're conflating yeah. the person with sexuality. Yeah, and that's a very common question I get from young people when I do, when I go to Impact or Summit, as I know you go to both those places as well. Often kids are confused on the identity issue because they'll, it's the way they ask the question that you can see that they're confused because they'll say something like, well, why does God hate gay people or why can't gay people go to heaven? Or the, you know, the question will be worded yes. almost as if that's the core identity. In fact, I, um, I had a gotcha question at a place I was speaking at and somebody raised their hand in the Q&A and said, okay, Elisa, what's your message for the gay community? And I just said, it's no different than my message for any other community. It's repent and believe. It's the message That's of Jesus, right. repent and believe. It's, it's no, there's no special no message <laughs> for there. So, uh, but that's, they're asking questions like that because when a young person that's been really indoctrinated by culture hears what the Bible has to say about homosexuality, what they hear is this is what the Bible is saying about me or my friend like my my unchangeable fixed identity identity and i think that they do see it as something that's fixed it's unchanging it's 
And yet, and, and that's kind of hypocritical, though, because then in other ways they do view it as changeable and all this. It's very confusing, very confusing <laughs> conversation to follow. Um, but so we so we we start with that foundation of the false identity that culture is giving us. So what if you were to just give um, a flyover explanation of what our real identity is? Yeah. Talk about yeah. that. That's so important. So if that's not who who we are, and, and this is why, I mean, I spend not just one lesson, but actually I, I grow it to two lessons because we need to understand what is our false identity and then what is our true identity, the image of God. We're all created in the image of God, but regrettably, we're also all fallen. Like I, I wanted to make sure that this is not just about what you just brought up, Elisa, just, you know, it's not you, you have a message for, for, for people and then you have a message for gay people. Like as if they're separate, it's not. Uh, and I, I, I think we have to admit years ago, I think the church did have a different message for those mm. in the gay community. And I think we're, we're, we're realizing bringing the gospel back in the center mm -hmm. uh, that it's the gospel message is the same. Whatever is how you might wrongly identify, whatever is your desires or temptations, every human being, the answer uh, the you know the issue we're, we're all creating God's image, but the issue is we're also all fallen. Yeah. And so with this whole project, all twelve lessons, I wanted to be sure that as people are coming in and and doing these lessons, you know, they're thinking, okay, I I need to be equipped on sexuality. I want people to walk away with this is just about humanity. This is about yeah. the gospel. This is about Jesus Christ. Um, my biggest point for the whole thing is basically two words, follow Jesus. Hmm. What does that mean? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Um, I think that was, you know, my, my first point of lesson one, you know, what's the main goal of sexuality? It's to glorify God by denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. Yeah. That needs to be number one for every human being. So who we are is we're not putting in our sexuality false identity or in our self-perception, which you know is now called gender, mm. but putting it in the fact that we're all created in God's image, but regrettably we're also all fallen. Yeah, and that's the part I think so many people in our culture, and you mentioned um, when you, we were you were praying for us before we came on the air, the, the progressive Christianity that I almost got ensnared in many years mm -hmm. ago. And often they skip over Genesis 3 and don't acknowledge that we're sinners. And that's something we all do have to, to realize. Our sexuality is not our core identity. But mm -hmm. God, you know, we all have distorted the image of God with sin yes. in one way or another. And I would venture to say, I don't think it's too bold a statement to say that every single one of us in our sexual lives have distorted yeah. that. And nobody has a perfect, you know, sexual outlook. And that's why all of us on Another our sanctification— Right, exactly, exactly. And so all of us on our sanctification journey have to—my friend Hilary Ferrer, who wrote The Mama Bear uh, Apologetics Guide to Sexuality, wrote about picking up our sexual crosses. We all have to do this. And so while not taking it on as our identity, there, there is a standard and there is a holy sexuality that God wants all of us to practice. And I think you bring that out so well. Um, I'd love to talk about what you talk about in lesson four, because I think especially right now, this is so important for people to understand. Um, years ago, Christopher, uh, you know, I, I have a, a close friend of mine in my life that has a particular struggle with same-sex attraction. And this is somebody that I love dearly and have been very close with for many, many, many years, over 20 years. And back 20 years ago, I might have said, 
well, this is something that this person, I don't think I would have said it was an identity, but I would have just said this is, this is, maybe I would have er errantly said this is who they are. Mm -hmm. And yet they need to, you know, walk and live celibate. And so I think inadvertently I was accepting that as an identity, which ministries like yours and Rosaria Butterfield have really helped me clarify um, these things. Because sometimes, and I think we talked about this on the last podcast you were on with me, sometimes in apologetics, we'll just say homosexual behavior is wrong. Mm -hmm. But it's it's more complicated than that because you also have you have and you laid this out so beautifully and I'd love for you to talk about it because there's a difference between attraction, desire, and temptation. It's yes. not a sin to be tempted, but there can be desires and attractions that are sinful. Help us parse through that because there is a push, as we've talked about before, um, called Side B uh, Christianity, which teaches wrongly. Um, you and I both agree this is a false teaching. That you know homosexual behavior is wrong, but you can assume the identity. You can call yourself gay. You can, you know, embrace those those category identities, which I, I think is a false teaching. But help us parse through that. What's the difference between attraction, desire, and temptation? Yeah, and and so you bringing up um, and you know people are unaware about this side B framework, uh, spiritual friendship revoice. Um, it's essentially, um, you know. People will say, uh, you know, when I say I am gay, I'm not saying I do. I don't say mm -hmm. this, but a person will say, uh, you know, I, I identify as gay celibate Christian, but they say that the term gay doesn't mean that I'm uh, acting on it. It just means that I have these attractions. Mm -hmm. um, and if I could just have a quick side note, um, the people that use that narrow definition that it only means attraction is so small in the broader scope of all of humanity, meaning the world and the, the actual gay community. Uh, I would say that might represent 1% of people who, who, who use that in the gay community and even smaller in the broader community. As a person who lived as a gay man for years, um, and then even before that, when I was not open, gay did not mean simply I have same-sex attraction. That was just the tip of the iceberg. What it really meant is this is who I was. And, and we can actually clarify when you ask people, do you, when you say I am gay, do you mean this is what you feel or do you mean this is who I am? And I would mm. say 99.9% .9 of the people would say, I mean, this is who I am. Yeah. We can't redefine words. So that's kind of just the term. We're not quibbling over words. We're talking about essence. We're talking yeah. about the core of our being. But then the concept of uh, side B is, um, you know, this is this is related to my same such attractions. And then I have the same, you know, I, I have same such attractions and same such attractions are not sinful. So that's why they're okay with then identifying with a concept that they think is not sinful. There's actually lots of discussion around uh, people who write and talk on sexuality. Are same-sex attractions sinful or not? And essentially there's two camps. One that says it is not sinful to have same-sex attractions. And then a smaller group uh, within you know this broader scope of Christianity that would say it is sinful. Now the issue with I believe that all this whole conversation is many times, the majority of times, they don't define what you mean by attraction. What do you mean by mm. saying such attractions? And that was my goal in trying to actually let's just bring some clarity 
because oftentimes when I'm reading and talk about it, they use all these terms interchangeably without defining. Yeah. They say same-sex mm-hmm. attraction. They're throwing a desire, temptation. And uh, when the Bible sees desire and temptation as different categories. Mm. So what I want to do in my book and in the video series is to help kids and parents to see that like when we're talking about morality, which is a, a, a biblical concept, let's use the biblical categories of desire and temptation because attractions could you mean both either. Mm-hmm. And so I just use the, the concept of desire and temptation. And like you say, uh, Alicia, Alisa, that temptation in and of itself is not sinful. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. And and then I know sometimes people bring up James, you know, well, we have this concept of desire, temptation. So is, and I hear arguments that say, well, you know, in this, you know, desire comes from, uh, temptation can come from our human desires. I would argue that, you know, when that happens, that it's that desire that makes it sinful. But that's that's kind of getting into more of the weeds. Mm-hmm. But this discussion, I don't believe that temptation in and of itself is sinful. But then let's talk about desire. People will say, well, desire isn't sinful until it turns into lust. Here's the problem with that argument. The Bible's use of the term desire and lust in the New Testament or desire and covet in the Old Testament, it's the same word. Mm. In the New Testament, epithumia means we translate it as either desire or lust. In the in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, the word for desire or covet is the Hebrew word chamad. Same Hebrew word, same Greek word. So it's not that a desire turns into lust. Wrongly ordered desire is lust or it is coveting. So I think that's very important so you can't have a same-sex sexual desire that isn't sinful. It is sinful. So actually, what we're talking about is not simply quibbling over words. We're talking about what is sin? What is repentance? What is you know, our understanding of our sin nature? And so when we understand it in that context, we know that we should never, if we're clinging to our old self who should be dead, we're trying to resuscitate our old creation, our old mm. man, and trying to then identify with the first Adam when we should be identifying with the second Adam. Well, I really hope you're learning a lot and getting a lot out of this conversation with Christopher Yuan. Want to pop in for just a moment and let you know about one of our sponsors for today, and that's Good Ranchers, American meat delivered right to your door. We absolutely love Good Ranchers in our home. In fact, almost all of the meat that I cook on a daily basis comes from Good Ranchers, and that's for several different reasons. Number one, it's such high-quality, good meat. The beef is pasture-raised, grass-fed, no antibiotics, no hormones. The chicken is actually better than the organic chicken you buy in the grocery store. It has higher standards, and you you can taste it. It tastes different. It's delicious. We absolutely love it. But we also love that the company has high integrity. They have amazing customer service. They are there to take your call and help you with anything that you need. And they're Christian people. They have biblical Christian values that back this company. They're not giving money to woke corporations, and we just love Good Ranchers. So there's several things that you can take advantage 
advantage of right now. Number one is that if you subscribe today, you're going to lock in your price for two whole years. That means no inflation, no raising of your subscri subscription cost for two years. You can also use my code ALISA to get $30 off your first box. Go over to GoodRanchers.com. Take a look at the different boxes, the different uh, configurations that they offer. There's some that have meat and chicken, some that are just chicken, some that are just beef. There's some pork in there. And it's all just so, so good. And just the bacon is incredible. The bacon is just worth everything. So go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code, Elisa, for $30 off your first box and lock in that subscription price for two years. Again, that's GoodRanchers.com. Use my code, Elisa, for $30 off your first box. That's good. So let's say there's a young kid watching this video or listening to this on a podcast who is experiencing a lot of confusion, let's just say in the area of same-sex attraction. How does what you just said play out in his life? What would your advice be to yeah. him? Yeah, and thank you so much for bringing it to a really practical pastoral uh, moment. Um, I know for many people when they hear this, they they're just discouraged or how can I give this? You know, so I'm I'm always in, you know, continuous sin. We need to hear know the difference between a desire and temptation because we're you know, we're going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. Being tempted is not sin, but we also can't call it good. We also can't mm. somehow think we can sanctify it or somehow it's neutral. Mm. Um, it's something that is insidious that we need to resist and not fall into temptation. So be encouraged in the fact that you're just human like every other human being, that you're being tempted like every Jesus was tempted you're going to be tempted as well. So not be surprised that you're tempted. Just don't fall into that. When it falls into temptation, that is when we need to be reminded of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, mm. and confession leads to repentance, if we confess, I, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's so encouraging. So it's conditional. We need to confess. But then here it comes where the rest is God. The rest is God's work. He, God, is faithful and just. So it's He's it's faithful in that whatever is you know is He's promising that's going to happen after this, He's going to bring to pass. And it's just meaning this is good that what He's bringing about is fair and it's good in light of actually it's not really fair that you just did something wrong, but then God is going to kind of just forgive you. And, and cleanse you, which is coming up next. He's faithful and just to do what? To forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So this reminder, this encouragement that, you know, if this is you and you're watching and, and you're wrestling with your sexuality or your gender and, you know, just what I said that, you know, this desire, you know, is it's a really wrongly ordered desire, uh, just confess it, repent of it, and then God is going to take it over because he's faithful and he's just, and he's gonna forgive you and mm -hmm. cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Mm. You're going to be tempted, resist those temptations by the power of the Holy Spirit, don't fall into it. But if you do, quickly confess, repent, and God's gonna forgive you and cleanse you. Praise the Lord. I mean, that's just yeah. an amazing God that continues to do the work in us. And I need to cling to that promise of 1 John 1, 9, 
throughout my the week. It's not like you do this once yeah, and yeah. everything fine. It's this continuous work that we need to do it on our own, but also invite others into your own walk who are yeah. your pastor, your youth pastor, your parent, uh, your best friend, your pair partner, your mentor, that we need this army of people mm-hmm. to, that we're linking arms together to do this, you know, sometimes difficult walk of sanctification. Mm. That's so good. I love, um, in fact, I, I have to tell you that section you have in your video series about confession was such a good reminder for me personally. I mean, I actually, the Holy Spirit actually convicted my heart that I need to do that more often. I need to, uh, you know, really confess. And and there's such freedom in that. Um, and I will also, I wanted to add something to, you know, if there's a young person or even, I mean, an older person who has some of these struggles that they go through, first of all, be comforted in knowing that we all have things we're struggling with. We all do. And this is why First um, John chapter two is so powerful for me. I, I love this where it says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but for also for the sins of the whole world. And and it talks, it goes, he goes on to talk about walking in the light. And so Christopher, I kind of have these OCD tendencies and especially they were worse when I was younger. And so I can relate with somebody who's like, okay, I hear what you're saying, Christopher, but it just keeps coming back in my mind and then it's there and then I've got to confess and I feel like I'm on this hamster wheel. And I love how First John just says, walk in the light. This is what we're doing. Yes. You, you expose everything to the Lord. And even as a young child, I remember these kind of OCD things would start going. I mean, that's not an official diagnosis. That's a self-diagnosis. But um, these really sort of just pervasive thoughts. And I felt like I couldn't control them. I didn't want them. But at one point, I just said, okay, Lord, this I'm confessing to you that these keep mm-hmm. going around and around, and I, I'm i just giving it to you. And yes. and I'm just—my mind just—if it just has to do what it's going to do, but I'm walking with you, and I want to walk in your light. So be exposing everything to the Lord, confessing every time the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind. And I love that you also mentioned getting in community, which leads me yes. really to the second part of that question— there are going to be youth pastors listening to this, pastors, parents listening to this that have children and um, youth in their groups that are struggling with some of these things. What is the best way? Let's start with maybe a youth pastor. Let's say there's a kid at youth camp and confesses to the youth pastor, I've, I've got these struggles in my mind, which I'm sure is happening a lot because of just our culture right now is making such a big deal of these things that yeah. it's sort of first and foremost at, uh, on everyone's minds. What's your advice? Let's say for the youth pastor first, you have a kid in your youth group that's struggling through some of these things. Um, what's your advice? I think we need to first kind of realize what's the issue. So um, we need to know in essence, uh, first ask a few good questions. Tell me more. Um, you know, and how, and how does your faith fit into this? Mm. Because then we could diagnose correctly. We have this tendency as human beings to be on one side of the spec, uh, on the pendulum or the other side of the pendulum. So I think with youth, either you're dealing with a kid who is recognizes their sin, but they're dealing with so much guilt and shame. They Mm. feel dirty. They feel unloved that no one could ever love them. God definitely doesn't love him or her. Are we dealing with that? Or are we dealing with maybe the other side of the pendulum where it's like, 
what's wrong with it? I mean, you know, and, and, you, and you deal yeah. with this all, also with young men. Okay, I'm looking at porn. So what? I mean, I'm not hurting anyone. Um, I'm not letting this affect, uh, you know, when I get married, I'll stop. You know, mm-hmm. all these all these myths, right? Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's, um, so are we dealing with someone who recognizes their sin? Or, and let me finish here, um, oftentimes they're coming to the youth pastor, not because I need help, but you need help. And actually, the, the whole youth group, mm. they need to get it right and treat me better because I'm being abused, I'm being victimized. And I'm not saying that uh, this, these individuals might be mistreated and, and, and uh, maybe bullied or whatever those, those things. I'm not saying that that's not happening, but it's, we're, we're, we're all victims in essence. I mean, but I praise the Lord that the gospel is not about um, dwelling on the fact that we're victims, but he's mm-hmm. Jesus rose victorious. Who's the greatest victim of them all? Jesus could easily. I mean, he was clearly accused of something that he was he did not, you know, that he was totally innocent for. But he never, ever, ever um, dwelled on his victimhood status. He rose victorious, right. as we yeah. are called as well. So are you dealing with a teen like that or are you dealing with a teen like this? And over here, so we have it's a different approach. If we're realizing this kid is just distraught and just way down with guilt, um, one thing that I mentioned in my book and in my video series is a quote from someone that you just had on, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, one of my favorite pastors, mm-hmm. uh, and and his book where he talks about guilt and shame. And he brings up the fact that as much as the world treats guilt and shame, you know, as as like bad things, actually the Bible talks about guilt as something that can be used for good, that God actually, you know, used guilt, that we're guilty, um, to point us to hopefully repentance. Mm. So the question we need to ask when we're feeling conviction, who is it from? Um, and, and I think Dr. Pastor Lutzer talks about um, God convicts us of things that we have not dealt with, mm. that we have not taken to him. Um, so I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but God convicts us of things that we have not uh, dealt with yet. And we need to do first John one, nine, we need to confess mm-hmm. and we need to repent. But Satan convicts us of things we've already dealt with. We've already oh, confessed. Yeah. We've already repented of continuing, mm-hmm. you know, to say, you're not good enough. God will never forgive you. And we need to ask ourselves, have I already confessed this? Have I already repented? I like, this is stuff from my past that I know God has already. So we need to remember if I've already dealt with this and taken it to God and confessed it and I'm repenting it, but I'm still getting these thoughts, you're too dirty. God mm. will never forgive you. No one will ever accept you. That's not from God, but from the enemy. And I mean, sometimes we just need to say, get behind me, Satan. Yes. Because that is not from God. So that's a good reminder but if this is something that we're feeling conviction, it's like, oh my goodness, I have not confessed this to God or to others, then we need to do that good work of confession and repentance. So that's a good reminder what to do, you know, helping these kids to recognize that, be encouraged and encourage them, right? I love what Spurgeon said, mm-hmm. you know, just proclaiming the gospel or preaching is, is comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comforted. So the other side are these kids that are like, well, you know, it's not, I'm not, I don't have the problem. You know, you have the problem and it's helping them to remember, you know, remember that 
actually, this is the message for all sinners. Every yeah. one of us, we need to submit ourselves. We need to repent of our, you know, of our sin first. Don't be playing with with your sin, and you might not be acting on it. But this is where we need to help people to see: you need to repent of the desires and repent of this identity mm-hmm. that. You do not hold to a sinful concept as who you are. So that's kind of how I would minister to these two two separate groups. Yeah, and I think also I'm thinking about the kid that's more like, you know, you're the one with the problem and I'm being victimized if you don't accept this. I mean, at that point, this is more like maybe even a, an evangelism, you yes. know, scenario. Because if 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 someone has truly put their trust in Christ and has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit— there will be evidence of conviction of sin, right? So, yeah, at that point, it's like, okay, this might just be like, we need to share the gospel with this kid and and get him saved because, you know, yeah. I, I think there is, and I'm not saying that there can't be some confusion that somebody that still lingers after they're a Christian, but but just that kind of that attitude. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned what you did a few minutes ago about victimhood and the bullying because— I experienced this a lot in the deconstruction movement as I researched for mm-hmm. that book, is that it's such a tangled conversation because you have legitimate cases of people who have been abused, maybe an yes. abuse of power, um, a bully pastor, or maybe they were bullied out of church. I mean, that that legitimately happens and has happened. Um, yeah. But then you have on the other side of it, people claiming victimhood and claiming mm-hmm. that they're being bullied simply because they're being told what the Bible has to say about identity and gender and yes. sexuality. And so they'll claim that victimhood. So it's very tough to untangle the knots and yes. decide, you know, what is a legitimate claim of abuse and what is just like, I don't want to be told that I have to repent, you know, because that yeah. that that's part of the conversation too. And, and, and I would say in the whole spiritual friendship inside B gay Christian movement, that is a huge aspect, you know, that they're they're claiming all the spiritual abuse. When you look at that and I said, that's just discipline. Yeah, don't, right. don't call discipline spiritual abuse because you don't agree with the fact that you're being disciplined. That's not spiritual abuse. That is actually love. Mm, mm, that's discipline good. is love. Um, so I think that's really important. You hear this in story after story after story about you know spiritual abuse and side B gay Christianity is using the playbook of postmodernism, um, which is stories. It's constantly mm. yep. stories, yep. constantly we need to listen. Um, and should we listen? Yes, we need to listen to the Word of God. We mm-hmm. listen to people, uh, but more than anything else, we listen to the Word of God. That's right, because yes, as we listen to people's stories, how we respond, how we feel about those stories, is gonna. it should be informed by the Word of God, right? It's, exactly. And if we make the stories, which is, you know, this is— coming down from the critical theories, which is also rooted in postmodernism, where it's like the minority status has the higher moral authority to to Mm -hmm. speak on these topics. And it just gets into everything. And um, that's a really good point. But you mentioned something that some people may not know that phrase. You mentioned spiritual friendships. Just very quickly tell us Mm -hmm. what that is as a part of that side B framework. Yeah. So actually, uh, spiritual friendship. So if you do a little bit of the history, uh, there was the ex-gay movement of Exodus. And from that was a reaction to everything is is a reaction to something, Uh, a reaction to the ex-gay movement of people who said uh, to be a Christian was same-sex attraction. You need to no longer be gay. You need to be ex-gay. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying 
actually you shouldn't be gay, ex-gay, straight. Those are all the wrong framework of making orientation still a part of your identity. Mm. We need to just get rid of all of that as an identity. You might have same-sex attractions. You might have opposite-sex attractions, both or neither, but that's not who you are. That's part of your experience. But a reaction to Exodus and the ex-gay was what this gay Christian network, GCN, uh, headed up by Justin Lee and Ron Belgal. They represented kind of either side of that spectrum. They kind of did that for a while. There were conferences, but I think the inside A represented people who were, they say, I'm gay and Christian, and I could marry someone of the same sex. Side B, gay Christians are people who said, uh, no, gay marriage is wrong. I should not act on it, but gay is still part of who I am. I can't change. And having same-sex attractions and desires are not sinful. So that was side B, headed up by Ron Belgau, and then later also Wesley Hill. So Ron mm-hmm. Belgau, Wesley Hill are a big part of you know forming that movement. But then they realized, oh, this is not healthy for me to be in these conferences where 20% are side B and 80% are side A, where they're all looking for a gay partner. That's not healthy. So they kind of split off and formed mm-hmm. this online community called Spiritual Friendship. And then from spiritual friendship formed the conference much later called Revoice. So that's all of that, the gay celibate Christian movement, which what is a spiritual friendship? Essentially, it is, uh, someone said this is the derogatory way of saying it, but derogatory often is just the truthful way of saying it. Spiritual friendship is essentially two men who have same-sex attractions, two women who have same-sex attractions. They believe what they need most is to have intimacy, and they find that with, are we to have intimacy? Yes, but as single individuals, you don't try to make friendship a marriage. Mm. And that's what they do is they would have a covenant for life and they would wow. uh, own, yeah. own homes together or live together, sometimes sleep together, sometimes even cuddle together. Um, and so there's all often that spectrum of, of some people say, no, you can't cuddle, but we can, you know, we covenant together for life. Uh, so essentially it is gay marriage without mm-hmm. the sex. Um, and we just have to call it what it is, that sinful spiritual friendship um, among people who have same-sex attractions is sin, and it's not called that. Um, and so we're not actually allowing people to be free from their yes. sin, but actually encouraging people to continue Stay on in their in sin. Yeah, because uh, that covenant, that lifelong covenant, what a slap in the face of God to say, I can't, you can't change me. Mm-hmm. This Oh my goodness, that, that, yeah, that's bad news. Okay, um, you mentioned something in your video series from a pastoral perspective that I thought was incredibly wise. Um, and it was sort of similar to a scenario we had um, without revealing who anybody is, but we had a young person in our circle who was kind of confused about their sexuality and thought they were pansexual for a while, realized a couple years later they were just trying to fit in. It really Mm. wasn't something even that they thought was really their identity. They just thought, man, I love everybody. So that means I'm pansexual. And then as they became more mature, they realized, oh, I just I wanted a place to feel welcome and I wanted to belong Mm. somewhere. And that's what all my friends were talking about. So um, and so we tried to just like not make that big of a deal of it when the confusion was going on. I mean, definitely speaking truth, but just you know, not like making it the main thing we always talked about. And I I feel like you approached a a young girl. um, She came to you and said she thought she might be asexual. This is something Mm. that is gaining steam on social media. And I loved your response to her. And this is a a good pastoral response too. Um, Share about that one a little bit. Yeah. I I mean, it's, 
uh, it's a little funny because um uh, and not funny for the young girls that are going through this and sometimes distraught about it because i'm, I'm getting more yeah. and more of this you know as as you and i both at speak at summit and impact 360 dealing with um, teenagers and and college students i'm getting more and more young young girls preteen teenage girls come to me and ask i think i'm asexual and it's usually in a kind of very um worried sense uh mm -hmm. and I, I essentially you know i i usually try to get more information before i give my answer you know why do you think this um i don't have same sex i, I don't have any sexual attractions and this is usually my answer for every situation. I say, let me tell you what's going on. You're a preteen girl. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not uncommon, you know, for, for girls to have sexual desires, but also it's not uncommon for, for preteen girls to have, you know, to not have sexual desires. So we need to realize, especially for women, men and women are, are just different. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, but for, I know of adult women that, that got married and they didn't have sexual desires. They had desires, maybe romantic desires, but not necessarily sexual desires. It can often develop later. Yeah. But I, I tell people, this is so important. Do not make the presence or absence of any sexual desire who you yeah. are. Yeah. When we make our desire, any desire, whether sexual or not, who we are, that is distorting our very essence and if our kids can know that you you have love for everyone that's not who you are don't identify as that we all should love everyone yeah. um i don't have any sexual desires that's not like your identity uh or i have same sex or i have opposite i even tell people don't identify as straight that's yeah. not who you are the term gay straight bi should not define people they describe our attractions our actions and so when we're able to tease out these things that really helps us to understand who we are as image bearers of god and who we ought to be as people who identify as christ followers mm -hmm. that really i think can be really encouraging for a lot of preteen and young girls to know that this is who i am regardless of what i feel yeah, and, and that's, as a woman, um, you know, heading toward my 50s now, the different phases of a woman's life, mm -hmm. your hormones change, um, all sorts of stuff ebbs and flows. There's, there's you know, <laughs> there, there are definitely phases in my life where, you know, if I didn't know better, culture could have convinced me I was this or that mm -hmm. or whatever, asexual, whatever. Because um, hormones affect some of that stuff too. And uh, mm -hmm. I love that you just, just really explain like you don't really have to worry about this right now you're you know you're 12 it's okay just be 12 you know yes. and so i think that that was very wise um let's talk about the parents who have a, a father shared a story with me that i thought mm -hmm. was again very wise and he said that it was his maybe seven or eight year old daughter said dad i'm gay mm. and he i felt like he handled it so well he said okay well what does that mean to you and she kind of got it, but not really. And he said, all right, let's do this. You're eight. So let's talk about this again when you're 12. And he said yeah. within a year, it just wasn't even a thing. It was just maybe something she heard. So there's something like that. But then you might have an, a 17-year-old kid that has struggled deeply for many years and finally confesses to their parents. That's going to be a different response. Mm -hmm. 
talk to the parents who have kids who are struggling, who may even suspect they have kids who are struggling that haven't really talked to them yet. How could parents best disciple their kids in this area um, if they even have a suspicion, but maybe the kid's not talking about it or the kid does come out of the closet? What's your advice? Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's really important to realize where we are today because there's so much actually encouragement for kids to identify uh, by, you know, something in the alphabet soup of LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. and the list goes on. Um, you know, another story, as you were telling that story, I was reminded of, of a boy, similar, five-year-old boy went to his mother um, distraught saying, mom, am I gay? The mother, you know, wisely said, why, why would you say that? And he says, well, I love my best friend. Does mm. that make me gay? So it's, it's having this conversation with our kids to know what is love. I think that's so important to help our kids to know what love is. We're called to love all people that does not make us pansexual. That does not make right. us, I, because I love, but that doesn't make us bisexual. It makes us just people who followers of Christ who are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. So it's important to put those things in that context, uh, but also helping kids to see that, you know, understanding who we are in light of theology. I mean, that was my reason for writing Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. That was my, my reason for wanting to, you know, do this video series is I wanted to help people to understand theology, that once we undergird our actions in good doctrine, that helps us to respond in the correct way. The problem for many is, you know, people want to do right without thinking right. Mm. But if you do right without thinking right, you could end up be doing wrong. Orthodoxy must always precede orthopraxy. Mm -hmm. So helping our kids to understand good theology in very simple sense, you're created in God's image but we're also all fallen, that can help us to understand you're going to have temptations, you're going to have desires, but those desires don't define you. Every human being is going to be tempted with something. It could be opposite sex lust. It could be same sex desires. Mm -hmm. Knowing that distinction helps us to, uh, you know, prepare our kids to, to know that these are things that we all are going to be tempted with. We need to have discernment of knowing what are good desires, what are bad desires. Mm -hmm. Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes, you know, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Mm -hmm. We need to teach our kids that. You know, yeah. a five-year-old can know what's the difference between right or wrong. That's not discernment. <laughs> discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. So understanding that we're all, every child is going to have some sort of struggle with sin. Many, many could be many struggles with different yeah. types of sin. But when we're preparing our kids to know that this is real because we're all sinners, because we're all creating God's image, we're also all fallen, means every one of us, every one of our children, every adult, every parent is going to be tempted and is going to struggle with some desire that we just need to repent. So it's nothing really new. Mm -hmm. And helping our kids understand that can be helpful to set them up for life. That's good. How about pastors? Um, you know, uh, I think for, for 
people who are Christians faithfully picking up their sexual crosses every day who might really be struggling with same-sex attraction, and they go to their pastor and they confess this, is there—what's your advice to pastors how to, how to best disciple people who, who experience these attractions and don't want them, but they, but they want—you know, family, they want to be involved yeah. in community— so what's your advice to churches and pastors? Yeah, I think uh, it's similar to, you know, what you, what you had said with that gotcha question. You know, it's really no different than yeah. what I would say to anyone else. Uh, the answer is Jesus Christ. It's, uh, you know, putting your faith in Christ, uh, being saved that, you know, that leads to a life of transformation or repentance. You know, I, there is no transformation apart from repentance. There's no repentance apart from transformation. So helping this individual know that that's the real issue, but also reminding ourselves, you know, pastors, I get a lot of times where they're thrown off. I don't know how to help this individual, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they give this, this justification because I don't struggle myself. But, and I, as I said in the videos, you know, do you have to lie to help a liar? Do you have to gossip to help a gossiper? Right. Of course not. If we know Christ, if we have any victory over our own sin by, by God's grace, we, we can help another sinner. So that, I think that's, that's really important. But also, like you're saying, if you have this individual that they want to have a family, they want to have, um, you know, uh, a wife or whatever it is, I, I think we need to remind them, you know, don't let go of that that good that good goal or that good option, but don't make that the ultimate mm. goal in life, or as if that's the only way to give evidence that you have been mm. transformed. Yeah, because I think that was kind of the error of years ago that yeah. marriage is the pinnacle. Uh, we we live it today. Why did in 2015, why was there a majority of people that were in support of redefining marriage to include you know, a man and a man, a woman and a woman? It was because we gave the impression that marriage is where it's all at. That's the pinnacle yeah. of of existence. And we need to help people that are that want that to say, don't let go of that, that good desire, but don't make that your ultimate goal. Make Jesus Christ your ultimate goal. I also have people on the other side of the spectrum that, that you know, like this scenario of a pastor, someone comes in and they said, I, I could never get married. And that's when we need to kind of help them to see, uh, you know, being single, that's not a bad thing. You can be, you can be completely whole as a single individual. Jesus was single um, and, and he's fully human. But don't minimize God to do what we think is impossible. Yeah. Live, and I say this in um, in one of my lessons, live with an open hand. Uh, that's how I live. I, I used to live like this. I used mm. to kind of think God could never, um, and, and God convicted me. He had to pry my hands open, and I need mm. to live like this with an open hand. God, have your way. I, I'm single now. Help me to serve you uh, in every capacity as a person who's whole in Christ, uh, to be content with the situation that you've that you've put me in, um, and but if you have for me in the in the years to come, to that you provide for me a wife, have your way. I want to live with my with my life open, with my hand open, uh, to guide me 
in your sovereignty, knowing what is best for me now, uh, but don't ever limit, don't ever let me uh, limit who you are and what you can do in me. That's good. Any final words for helping the church and Christians in general care for people who are really struggling in this area? You know, I, I think it is always recognizing uh, that this is a person that has, you know, it, just immense value. And uh, we need to remember what is the ultimate issue? Because oftentimes we will get so distracted by uh, their big problem, you know, mm -hmm. whether they're identifying as gay or whether they're transgender or any other sin issue, whether it's alcohol abuse or, you know, we can just list the, the sins there that. Uh, those glaring things can kind of come in the forefront and lose sight of what is of utmost importance. And that is sanctification becoming more and more like Christ. I, I kind of give this as a seemingly simple answer, but as we know, it's not. But it just refocuses what's the more the primary issue. As I'm pursuing Christ and being more and more uh, made into his likeness, all the other things are just going to fall into place. So we need to really focus upon the core issues of daily renewal, of what it is means to be sanctified in Christ. And those are the focuses, because when we focus so much on these sin issues, then it's basically don't do. Mm -hmm. Don't act on this. Don't do this anymore. And actually, that then puts the Christian life at such just this minimum level, just don't sin. Mm -hmm. The Christian life is not simply about don't sin. It's about being perfect like Christ, being holy. And when we make that our ultimate goal, which is unattainable on our own strength, but we can be, uh, be more made into likeness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will attain on that perfect day, um, that is our goal. So we, when we put it in light of that, uh, that then brings the God and the Holy Spirit and the whole Trinity and Jesus Christ back into the equation where that is the true power. Mm, very good. So let us know where people can connect with you, how they can get their hands on the Holy Sexuality Project. Yeah, so my my website, uh, my pers personal speaking ministry and writing is just ChristopherYuan.com, but this video series is being housed on a different website, and it is HolySexuality.com. Uh, this project is, was a $1.2 million project that amazingly we we paid for less than that, but it's that's what it is in value. This project should be $200 to $300, but we essentially, we want everyone to be able to to gain from this glean that we want every home, every grandparent, every family and their teen to have this. So we're actually just offering it for $20, which, which is not wow. even covering the cost, but actually even the $20, all of that is going to the next project, which is going to be Holy Sexuality and the, uh, uh, the Holy Sexuality Project for parents and their kids. So we're, we're aiming right. to do something for children. Um, mm. And, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm blessed that I'm able to do this and all these funds are not going to pay me. Actually, no one's going to be on salary. Uh, we're finding ways to pay them uh, other ways. So go to holysexuality.com, help us get the word out so that we can empower our youth and parents and grandparents to understand, embrace, and celebrate biblical sexuality. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Christopher Yuan, for this insightful conversation. Don't forget to go to the Holy Sexuality Project, pick it up, $20. My goodness, I'm going to be going through it with my daughter, and I'm so excited to be doing that. I want to mention one of our sponsors today is Southern Evangelical Seminary. I'm a student there. I love SES. You can go to ses.edu slash alisa. You can download a free ebook there and check out what they have to offer. That's ses.edu slash alisa. And in the meantime, as we pursue Christ, let's remember to keep a sharp mind, a soft heart, and a thick skin. We'll see you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.